Hey, I'm Dr. Britt, and I spend the majority of my time loving on people and helping them become the best versions of themselves. Think about me as your best friend with a PhD. It's really the best of both worlds, advice with truth, backed by research, and a whole lot of love sprinkled in. We chat about the stuff that can be hard to talk about, relationships, femininity, sex, self-esteem, health, motherhood, and mindset. My heart in this podcast is to give you a space to listen to topics that matter to you, to help you know what to do about it, and to let you know that you're not alone, no matter what physical or emotional state you showed up to or hang out today. So grab a chair, your coffee, a snuggly blanket, whatever makes you feel most at home with a friend, and get ready to go on a journey together. Hey, best friend, this is our podcast. Hey, best friend, Dr. Britt here, looking forward to our conversation today. We are going to be chatting about this whole concept of feminism and femininity. And so many times people even get confused on what that is and why we care. So let me just kind of start here, start the process here. We live in a culture, at least in America, where feminism is something that's prized. And if you're a strong, driven woman, you must be a feminist. Now, something that I think that is interesting is even that the meaning of feminism has changed as our culture has changed, which isn't surprising. We have, you know, words like sick. That's changed over time. Once it meant you're ill. Now it means you're cool or lit. When I hear teenagers like, yeah, that's lit or lit has even changed into gas now. Like gas is something you put in your car not how awesome something is. So words and the meanings of things change over time. And as you listen to me, you'll even hear me talk about this concept on a regular basis is the meaning that we make of things, the meaning that we make of things. And as meanings shift, and like I said, it happens all the time, um, the way that we see things really starts to transform and can even mean something that's totally different from the original intent. I would actually be willing to bet that if I say the word feminist, you have a picture in your mind of who she is. And I bet that if I say femininity, you also have a picture in your mind of who she is. These words, these concepts, they mean something to you. The question is, can they exist together? Do they mean the same thing? So for for a brief moment, let's have a quick, quick chat on the history of feminism. And don't worry, y'all, this isn't a history lesson. I'm not a history teacher, but I think it's important to understand where this came from so that you and I can actually together, you know, as a conversation with best friends, really move into where this goes. So in the 18th century, the whole purpose of feminism was really to address women's quote unquote 
proper role in the world and that women could be educated and that men didn't need to be the ones creating the expectation of who they are as women and also that women were worth just as much as men in the public sphere and that Honestly, though, this really didn't gain a lot of headway during the time because even Queen Victoria herself disparaged and was against this idea, um, which is interesting to me in and of itself. And in the 18th century, some of my favorite teen authors were birthed out of this time period. Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, Louisa May Alcott, they were feminists. And when we look back as women, by the way, we need to give John Neal, you know, if you ever meet him someday, <laughs> we need to give him a high five. In America, he was the first women's rights lecturer. And unfortunately, or fortunately, grateful that we had him, we needed a male to advocate for us as women, and he did. And, and maybe even the name Florence Nightingale brings a bell to, you know, I, I, first or second grade, I did a presentation on Florence Nightingale. I have always been super pro women, even then of looking for women who are strong and influential in their sphere. And she was one of them. And she became a nurse. And really, she advocated during that time period that women should have the same properties, properties, women should have the same opportunities. There's the right word as men. And interestingly, though, during that time period, also her feminine qualities were emphasized over the fact that she was pushing for ingenuity in, in culture. And then I'm going to briefly, just so you know where this came from, and, and, and I'm hoping that maybe your younger self is connecting with some of this because maybe you loved some of the authors that I loved. Um, but there are a couple of waves of feminism, and I promise I'm going to make this make sense. Like, why am I even talking about this? I'm going to make it make sense. Just stay with me. So the first wave of feminism is what it's called in the 19th and 20th centuries. This is when women were overturning legal inequities and that they fought for women's right to vote, hot dog way to go. This was a big deal and it was good. Um, Elizabeth Candy Stanton is known of her saying the worst feature of these assumptions is that women believe them themselves. And by the way, these assumptions had to do with that women weren't equal to men. So the worst feature of these assumptions was that women believe them themselves, that, that we were inferior. Now, by the way, anybody that's ever met a strong woman knows that she is a bad man pajamba. And so often these days, women are leading companies, women are CEOs, women are directors of uh, of groups and things like that because we tend to have really good people skills. So I, my heart is grateful for the women that advocated for us to have the right to vote, that advocated for us to be the same legally on the same page, that we were just as valuable and worthy as men. Even in the 1940s during World War II, you know, women were, out of necessity, honestly, were working in large numbers that they even established sports teams. And... Um, 
amazingly and much like today women would work and then they would take care of the home and they would work and then they would take care of the home and again just like today now when men came back for more this changed a little bit of that but it started something so then the second wave of feminism in the 1960s and 80s this is when Women were fighting gender norms and fighting cultural inequities and fighting for equal pay and for us to have the right to reproduce or have birth control or whatever, or the role of women in society. That in this time period, women's enrollment in higher education and women's studies, those were increasing. That um, women could, for the first time in history, women could hold their own mortgage we could have credit cards in our name, you know, win. You could take the money that you were earning and you could actually do something with it, win. Now, by the way, I'm aware, and I'm just putting this sort of footnote in there, that there are other people that would be listening to this going, oh man, there are some negative things that happened during this time period, maybe even in regards to reproductive rights. Or some people would say those were really awesome things that happened during this time. Y'all, this podcast is not focused on that. This, you can go listen to other political podcasts. This ain't it. So in the third wave, 1990s, 2000s, uh, they address really... Uh, Previous failures, things that they thought were previous failures, uh, some of this had to do with including the experiences of women co- women of color in the LGBTQ population. In the first part of this too, uh, women were fighting against sexual harassment in the workplace for the first time ever. For the first time ever. You know, I remember when I was in college and I had a guy making very inappropriate comments to me on a regular basis. I don't even know why I'm telling this story, but I was so uncomfortable and I didn't do anything about it though. I, it's like, I, I felt bad. I, I knew that if I told my boss, he would get fired. So I didn't tell her, even though I wanted him to get fired or I wanted it to stop, but I also felt bad that he would get fired. It, it's such an interesting thing to think about now. My much older self is like, you know, Brittany, no, absolutely no. But my younger self, I remember even after he stopped working there, I told my boss about it. And she was like, why did you not come talk to me about that? I could have, you know, I could have protected you or I could have done something about it. And so thinking about sexual harassment in the workplace, great things were happening during this time. What's also interesting is that during this time period, women fought to be more girly girl. So you sort of saw this resurgence of high heels and uh, girly type things that the second wave fought against, that they that they could wear more practical clothing in the second wave and do other things, whereas this part was fighting to be more quote-unquote girly. And I want you to see that even the concept of feminism is constantly being redefined and now we would be considered to be in the fourth wave and again I'm not going to stay here because I'm just I'm just letting you know where it came from is that there's a fourth wave of feminism and this this part really continued to focus on sexual harassment the objective objectification of women and sexism and so continue to fight for that and one of the biggest features again and this isn't a social social justice or a 
a, a political type podcast, but in, in terms of, I just want you to know where it came from. That internet activism was also a part of this. Uh, there was an intersectionality, which means really focusing on where these marginalized groups meet together. And so advocating for that part forward, this was a really big shift. And so I just want you to recognize that the concept of feminism continued to be re redefined over and over and over Redefined where there were failures, redefined from we can be more practical to let's be more girly. And so there are these parts. And so then we have to we, then we have to ask ourselves, where does femininity come into this? And why in the world, Dr. Britt, are like we sitting here as besties having a conversation about feminism and now femininity? So I'm going to just identify myself right now. A lot of people in the world walk around with identities. I'm going to identify myself to you. So I'm a working married mama and I am all about equal rights, equal pay, voting, being able to pursue our dreams, not having to put up with sexual harassment in the workplace. Can we just please go back and talk to 20-year-old Brittany? Um, but at the same time, something was lost. We lost, as a culture, we lost something. Women, we lost something in our fight to be equal because... We are equal in our worth as people and our value as people and our intellectual abilities as people. But women are different than men. Now I recognize somebody's going to disagree with this, but for the majority, women are disagree women are different than men. And, you know, I, I mentioned our, our main man in the, the 1800s, John Neal, lecturing Americans for women's rights. And what he said was, women aren't intellectually inferior. Women are just different. My man, John Neal, high five him someday. If we meet each other later, high five him. So let's talk about just for a moment, this concept of femininity. And it, by the way, uh, being a stay-at-home mama, um, how you dress, the things that you do doesn't necessarily mean that you are feminine or you embody feminine traits. For example, you, you could be a stay-at-home mama, but you, you walk around in this more masculine, this more masculine, um, energy. I'll use the word energy. No one get weird about energy. Some people are like, woo, energy. Yes. And then other people are like, oh, don't you be talking about that energy thing. That's weird. Okay. Let me just energy. When I'm talking about energy right here, I'm defining the meaning for you. It's what we're putting off to those around us. So more feminine traits tend to be soft and tender and open and nurturing, whimsical, emotional, there's beauty and intuition, sensual, mysterious, responsive. I want you to just get a picture of this in your head. And a lot of these, by the way, feminine traits tend to be more 
states of being. I am this way. I am tender. I am nurturing. I'm responsive. But it's not this this doing thing. Now, more masculine traits tend to be strong, protector, fierce, provision, ambition, fortitude, guard, adventurous, aggressive risk taker, focus, chivalrous. When you think about a masculine man, there you're going to get you're going to get a picture of what that looks like. And by the way, masculinity is a lot more of a doing energy than it is a being energy. Now with that said, all who are listening to me, we all, whether you are male or female, have some of these traits, both masculine and feminine. Let me say that again. We all have masculine and feminine traits. No matter if you are male or female, you have these traits. Now here's the problem, and 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 this is this is where I believe in this. I'm giving you an opinion, although I see this in my office. Is that we when we are dealing with masculine and femininity, we sort of get so focused on sometimes becoming something that we're not. Uh, for example, uh, women in the workplace, they often feel that they have they have to be a bitch to get something, to make it happen, to be that person. Or if they're a strong woman, they get labeled that way. Now, sometimes that could be a sort of masculine strength coming out that often even women who are in the work field and the work, um, work for companies, things like that, girl boss, whatever, that you have to feel like you have this front that you're putting out. You have to have a masculine energy in order to sit in a room full of men and be able to go toe-to-toe with them in, in order to be able to uh, push your view forward in order to make something happen. Because, you know, sometimes when you think about feminine women, we're like, oh, you're just so kind and tender. And when you ask for something, it's like, oh, would you please mind doing this thing for me? Or, you know, we need to make this happen by Friday. Would you be willing to do that? Whereas someone maybe in a more feminine, um, feminine strength may say, hey, Steve, this needs to happen by Friday. Got it? Good. All right. And then move on. And by the way, that woman can still be incredibly nurturing but in a workplace, need to carry a masculine, um, need need to walk in more of a masculine energy. Now, one thing I find with women, and I, I think feminism is a part of this because we so want to be like men, or we were said that we were equal to men, that we needed to look like men. So we needed to be strong and aggressive and pursuing and protecting and guarding and, and all these things, except... What if we could be both? What if we could be both? What if, what if, sis, you could be strong and nurturing? What if you could aggressively pursue your dreams and play with your kids or 
enjoy cooking dinner? What if, what if you could do both? And I'm here to challenge you that we can do both. We can be both. But in order to be the best version of ourself, and, and by the way, let me, let me qualify this. There are some women that are more masculine in nature than others. And there are, I would say though, I would suggest that a lot of women are much more feminine in their nature. That is a part of our being, but we often carry masculinity as a way to protect who we feel like we have to be. And so when I bring it back to feminism, I think about with the reproductive movement, with the movement that said, um, uh, Use utilize birth control with the movement that said uh, women women are equal to men. We also sort of came up with this concept, you know, we women, whoever we women is, that we came up with this concept that women should just also be able to sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want, just like men, with no consequence. But there is a consequence. At what cost? I have had women tell me that they can sleep around or sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want, without consequence. And they're lying to themselves because there's a cost. There's a cost to giving your body to someone as a woman because biologically, we take in a man. Men don't do that. Biologically, we take in a man. And what, from an anatomical perspective, what is happening is uh, there's a vulnerable exchange that's happening. Well, in order to sleep with whoever I want, whenever I want, I have to become hard. I have to become hard. I have to pretend, forsake my emotional, nurturing, tender, um, responsive, sometimes even sensual nature. I have to do that in order to become hard. And then I have to pretend, by the way, that it's with, and it is a pretending. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You're my best friend that we have to pretend that it's without consequence. Now, that's going to take on another aggressive trait, which is a masculine trait. I I have to become aggressive in order to do that. This isn't without consequence. And then I have to put up a shield. I have to protect myself. So I have to be hard, aggressive, strong, and then I have to put up a shield. And by the way, when you put up a shield as a woman... You're hiding things that are on the inside of you that are incredibly beautiful, whimsical, tender, playful, because I can't actually expose the vulnerable, beautiful parts of me because I have you here, because it's not safe to be close to you. And by the way, this doesn't just happen when we sleep around. This can happen as as a, a consequence of being hurt by men. Um letting letting them into places that they don't belong in our own heart. Um, so that can happen also. And then I want you to recognize that women, you know this, if you've ever used it especially, 
that you can trade sex for love, for significance, for control. And I just want to be really clear. This isn't just a single woman's problem. Married women do this too. I'm going to give you sex to get love. I'm going to give you sex to get things. I'm going to give you sex to control you. Yeah. And then we start to put again this, this is a, like, that's even that masculine trait of ambition. I'm using sex as a tool to get something that I want to have. This is guarded. I'm guarded when I do this. And then all of a sudden we start to carry, and not all of a sudden, we start to carry these more masculine traits because we had to abandon women. We had to abandon our true nature in order to do this. We had to abandon our true nature in order to be hard, to have sex without consequence. Um, And this doesn't, I want to say this also, it doesn't just happen when we sleep around. It might happen when we say yes to sex and we don't actually want to say say yes to sex. Committed or non-committed doesn't matter uh, because you're giving of your openness, your softness, your tenderness, the parts that are connected to your emotional being. You give of those cell, those parts and then you have to protect them. So as women, we have to be really careful of who we give these parts of ourselves to. And and if you're like, you know, Dr. Britt, what in the world? What are you even talking about? What right do you have to be talking about sex? Well, also you should know that I'm a sex therapist. I haven't really talked about that yet, but that is a part of what I do. So let's come back to this. In order for us to walk around equal, quote unquote, equal to men, aka be a man, in order for us to walk around as a man, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, have whatever I want, be with whoever I want. We have to abandon our true nature to do this. If we're soft and tender and playful and vulnerable, then we actually need, we are actually wired to have a man protect us, guard us, be strong for us. And by the way, this doesn't mean that you're weak. This doesn't mean you're weak. I think that it actually takes a lot more strength in order to go, hey, let me be vulnerable and playful and show you all these all these parts of me that nobody else sees that only you, only you get to see. Or my like I think about my daughter. She gets parts of me that no one else gets. My husband gets parts of me that no one else gets. Um, I had some friends that took me out for my birthday and I was being ridiculously silly in the car. They could vouch for this if if they were here with me right now. They could vouch for it. And they get a part of me that no one gets because it's safe with them. I can be vulnerable and playful and fun. And those parts of me that are very woman, very safe. So at what cost are we paying when we try to operate as men in the world. And this isn't a commentary on anything LGBTQ+. Y'all need to take this out of the discussion. This isn't about that. What cost, ladies, are you wearing? What cost are you paying when you try to wear 
a masculine covering in the world. What happens is you get into a long-term committed relationship and you struggle to trust. You believe maybe that men are pigs or they're they're just going to cheat on you eventually and they just want you they just want you for your body. But ironically, best friend, you traded your body. You traded your emotional safety and you used it as a currency for control and power and significance and love. And I sit here in front of you like as your friend and I say, at what cost? At what cost? Because you paid for this. You're paying for this. If you're married, your marriage is paying for this. If you want to be married, you currently are paying for this and your future relationship will pay for it. When you walk around carrying a masculine shield. Because it's never who you were intended to be. It's not who God made you to be. He did not make you to be a man. He made you to be soft and tender and playful and emotional and be open and beautiful and intuitive and kind of mysterious and sensual. And by the way, sensual is not the same as sexual. Sensual is just the ability to engage in your senses. If you look at the time, and I'm not talking about as a result of insecurity, if you look at the time that women take to care for themselves, there is so much sensuality in that, from the temperature of the shower to the smell of the the body lotion or the the body wash and the hair wash and then the products we put in our hair and the makeup we put in our on our face and maybe even the taste of the toothpaste that you use whatever it is the flavor of lipstick the gum that you chew those sorts of things recognizing all of that's a part of our sensual nature and then we sacrifice it we sacrifice it at what cost to walk around carrying this masculine shield that's that's strong and aggressive and focused and driven and adventurous and ambitious and all focused on provision and being fierce. These things, we sacrifice it. We sacrifice it. We stop being our, our, our tender, playful, fun selves. And if this is you, you're listening to me and you're going, mother of pearl, I do this. I do this. And if you do this, by the way, you often feel stuck. If you're with a partner, you wonder why he doesn't do the things that you keep asking him to do. And then you step in and do said things because he's incompetent. Probably not, but he is And you wonder why you don't have close girlfriends, why people react to you the way that they do. You wonder if you're some of the the negative female labels that people have given you. You wonder that. You walk around feeling heavy because if you were walking out your feminine 
nature, your feminine energy, you feel really light. I can tell personally how heavy I feel when I'm operating in my masculine. I have to do very specific things. I'll talk about that in a future podcast, but I have to do very specific things to get myself to to be in, to walk in my feminine nature because that's who I am. That's who I am and um, it's... My husband wouldn't even tell you it's far more attractive when I'm in that, my, my feminine than I am my masculine because I, I start to feel like eventually I start to feel overworked. My sex drive tanks. I, I tend to have a little bit more anxiety show up. I feel more concerned about our financial situation, whatever it is when I'm operating in this masculine energy. And it's not mine. Now, I have had to learn to step in to that masculine energy because some situations warrant it and need it. But that's like putting on a hat and saying, all right, I'm going to be who I need to be right now in this given scenario. And then I take off the hat because it's not who, who I am. It's just who I needed to be in the moment take off the hat, walk out and engage in that in that nature. So, I want you to hear me as your best friend. As your best friend. It's my job to tell you the truth. Even if even when it's controversial, It's important to me to tell you the truth. If I don't tell you the truth, am I really your best friend? Probably not. So I want you to know that feminism is not the enemy. Although I do believe that we have the pendulum swung. And as a result of the pendulum swinging, There are some negative impacts. And so I want you to hear me, bestie. I want you to hear me right now. You were created to walk in tenderness and openness and playfulness, to be whimsical and to play and to be receptive. And that is such a part of your natural nature. It's yours. And if that's not what you're walking around in the majority of the time, you're probably carrying a masculine shield. And you're not quite getting out of relationships, even with yourself, the things that you want to have. So I have some questions for you. You know me. I like to leave you with questions, things to think about. And if you're in front of me, we talk about it. Am I carrying a masculine shield? What feminine parts of me have I forsaken in order to protect myself? And number three, what changes do I need to make today in order to walk out my feminine nature? What changes do I need to make 
today. Everything's today. If we wait till tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. What changes do I need to make today in order to walk in my feminine nature? Best friend, I'm with you. I care about you. And this is the beginning of a conversation for us on femininity. This is the beginning. So I want you to recognize that you and I are about to go on a journey together. Pulling out the best, most beautiful parts of who we are. And to begin to walk in those things. To begin to be who we were created to be. To show up in the way that we want to show up for the people that we love and most importantly for ourselves, so then we can show up for those people that we love so well. So I'm going to ask you those questions one more time. Am I carrying a masculine shield? Number two, what feminine parts of me have I forsaken in order to protect myself? And number three, what changes do I need to make today, today, in order to walk out my feminine nature? Hey, best friend. Dr. Britt here, and I'm just wanting to remind you that if you want to hang out with me a little bit more, come find me on Instagram and Facebook. Also, you can actually watch these podcasts on YouTube. You know, if if you like want to see my face as I'm talking to you, like we're actually hanging out. Also, you can check me out on my website for coaching details. And something that's really exciting is that January 9th, I am launching a women's coaching, group coaching course. And it's going to be entitled Reclaiming You, Taking Back the Best Parts of Your Womanhood. So if you want to Get on this email list to get all of the details for when it launches, how to join, all of those things. Make sure you head to my website and it will be under resources and you can fill out a link to get more information. Again, best friend, I look forward to hanging out with you more.